Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 182. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and on today's episode, I'm interviewing Josiah Mann, who is the founder of Investor Dealroom, a software that helps real estate investors better track everything that goes into large real estate deals, which is typically a lot of paperwork and other things that need to be kept up with. His wife is Ashley Mann, who has been on this podcast on episode 168 and also runs RVinspiration.com. Josiah's story starts like a lot of the people who I've interviewed on this podcast, with him being unhappy in his nine to five job. He was working as a software developer, building websites for companies like Ford.com. Josiah really wanted to be able to build his own thing with Ashley. And after reading lots of real estate books, and I'm sure watching a little bit of HGTV, they decided that their thing was going to be real estate investing. The only problem was they had no experience in real estate. So they decided to spend a year learning as much as they possibly could, surrounding themselves with a lot of real estate pros and physically going to look at properties. And they rationalized since they would likely be moving around from place to place looking at real estate, an RV actually made a lot of sense. So they bought a fifth wheel, Josiah quit his job, and they moved to Kansas City as their first stop where the real estate market was doing really well. And over the course of the next year, they actually spent more than $30,000 of their savings going to trainings, learning the ins and outs of real estate, and just trying to put themselves in a situation where they could learn from really smart people who had experience in real estate. They were all in on real estate until a mentor asked Josiah one single question. What value are you actually bringing to a real estate deal? This question nodded at Josiah for weeks until he realized the answer. He was bringing nothing to a real estate deal. He didn't have any expertise or experience to bring to the table. But one area he realized he did have experience and value is software development. In this episode, we talk about how instead of going into real estate investing, Josiah mapped out his own values that he could bring to the table and built Investor Deal Room, which is now a software solution for real estate investment deals. And one thing that I personally really took away from this deal is just kind of a good reminder on the power of having good mentors or friends who will be honest with you, because that is something that is extremely hard to come by and it's very rare. And if you find somebody who is willing to just be honest with you and call you out on your stuff, that's extremely valuable, even if it kind of upsets you at first. And one quick note before we get into this episode, it takes us a little bit to get into Josiah's story. I typically like to start off with more of their backstory, but we kind of get sidetracked a little bit in the beginning, but then we get into some of his experience starting his business. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Josiah. Josiah, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Awesome. Glad to be here. (laughs) So we got to hang out in Texas this past winter at a coffee shop here in Denton and Kelsey Henry introduced us. And then you came to our RV Entrepreneur Summit in March and Ashley spoke there. Was it, was that your first time being around a bunch of like people living on the road and working on different kinds of businesses? Because you guys, you guys have been living in a fifth wheel for a few years now, but you've been mostly stationary, mostly focused on your software startup. And so it was probably like a little bit of a night and day thing to go around all yeah. these people. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't, I guess I didn't have a, I didn't know what to expect. So Ashley had been getting me to, or trying to have me on the, join the RV Entrepreneur Facebook group. And I've been in a lot of like, I've been in a lot of entrepreneur groups and a lot of different Facebook groups. And I'm like, eh, like there's not going to be anything I'm really interested in or anything really <laughs> valuable there. And then she like once in a while she'd send me a post like oh this you got to read this post this guy's doing this and I'm like ah I don't I don't know I don't really want to I just I just you know didn't have any and 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 also I just wasn't 
like didn't was didn't feel super connected to the RV space, so mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect at the, the summit. And also, then, in in the name of the Facebook group used to be like super spammy. It was like make money in RV, so you just know that you're gonna go and get in, <laughs> and there's gonna be like MLM pitches or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, and and the other thing is like you, you know you you when when you've talked about being in a startup for a long time or talked about starting something for a long time, and then you actually have done it. There's that there's a big gap between talking about doing it and doing it and that that's so hard to cross. And so I felt like, man, there's gonna be a bunch of people in here who are talking about doing it and who will never do it. And that's what makes me not want to join Facebook groups like mm. like that. But what I what I actually found was when we went to the, the, the RV Entrepreneur Summit, there was like the, the whole agenda. And I was planning on just working from the from the thing the whole time. And then I would see these like events come up and I was like, oh, that actually be really interesting. The first one was the guy who was talking about the business that they acquired. I can't remember the company name, but he had bought a business and, and then. Oh, uh, Eric and Tammy Johnson from Techno yes. RV. Yeah. I lo- they did a yeah. really good talk. Yeah. Great presentation. So I like stopped everything in my work day and like went <laughs> to the presentation and was like, wow, like I can be friends with these people. And then I kind of continued, you know, running into people like that through the event. And we met with, I'm so terrible with names, but. 188 square feet on Instagram. Oh yeah, Kevin and Mandy. Kevin and Mandy, and we hung out with them and like hit it off. And Kevin and I chatted forever about you know software and, and his app and all that stuff. So we met a lot of people we really liked and, and had a lot of fun. But it was a lot better than I expected it to be, and and it softened me to the idea of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I get it. I mean, was part of it just that you, if you're looking at joining a group of people like you want to be around people who are actually doing it is that kind of the main thing it's like if you're not just talking about business but doing it or was it more or less the businesses you didn't know what kind of businesses and how it would relate to what you're doing i'm not i'm not sure that the best answer part of it is i want to be i want to be around people who are ahead of me so that i'm looking up to somebody else and i'm like okay i can do what these guys are doing or this guy's inspiring to me that's part of it. I also didn't feel like I'm in a place where I would be inspiring to other people. So it's like, what do I have to, <laughs> what value do I have to offer if everybody's asking me questions? So it, it's maybe not knowing where I would fit in that space is, is the, the thing. Hmm. You probably always will feel that a little bit of like, I don't know what value I can offer somebody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely feel that every time we've hosted the conference, which is why I do the easy job of just like hosting it and introducing everybody. I'll put the pressure on them to yeah. like, come up with smart things to say and I'll just try to say something semi-witty or even if I don't I'll let Alyssa make fun of me and it'll be maybe entertaining yeah but that's kind of the whole thing with being like a thought leader and in in my business that's a similar direction we're going to go which is like by hosting all these other smart people and these other cool people you're putting it together and connecting those people and by proxy like you're a connector and get to know everybody and it's a seems like a really a really cool way to to learn I mean which it, it is for me for certain like you get to learn from everybody and and grow just by put, connecting people together. Yeah, I think with the podcast, for me, it was kind of like a, a win no matter what when I first started this a few years ago because at the very least, I get to have conversation, like deep, thoughtful conversations that can kind of challenge me mm-hmm. with smart people, which is like, okay, if that's all that happens, that's a good thing. Okay, right. maybe a net win on top of that is I learn how to become a better communicator. I think at a baseline level, I say less ums and ahs than I used to. I'm not perfect. But okay, win there too, maybe, you know, at maybe even a higher level than that, other people listen to it and can get value from that. Or maybe a company wants to sponsor, you know, so there's, I think a lot of people when they look at going down a potential like route, whether that's like starting a business or a podcast or whatever, they're kind of looking at like, 
it's either win or lose, but it's like, there's a lot of options out there where you can win no matter what, if that's kind of your mindset. Yeah. And then I think the thing that we, we both know having, once you've started something and you kind of just persist and do it for a while, it presents other opportunities that you have no idea about that you can't calculate into your initial decision. So if you can find a win in it and find a way to, to make it worthwhile to you, regardless, you'll probably end up with a lot of additional opportunities. Yeah. I want to get into y'all's story, but first I want to, I'm kind of hooked a little bit on talking about the, the RV stuff. Whenever you were looking at kind of the RV community or whatever, cause you guys were in a fifth wheel and we'll kind of dig into y'all's story. And if you, you're listening to this episode and you've listened to Ashley's episode, you already kind of know it, but what was kind of your thought uh, or external expectation of like the RV community? <laughs> mm. Gosh, and obviously there's no all encompassing. There's a million different <laughs> kinds. I guess what, let me rephrase that. Cause I don't like the way I worded that. I guess part of the dilemma or the interesting thing is I feel about this podcast and a lot of the people who come to the conferences is like, there's these two things that don't seem to go together. A recreational vehicle is inherently leisurely. Like it was first kind of like for vacations and then like retirement and now people are opting in for a lifestyle but at the core of it it's to spend time outside and have time to go to beautiful places like everyone has their different use cases but that's a lot of the ones that has been our motive and a lot of the people that are part of this community and then you've got the flip side which is being an entrepreneur which requires a lot of dedicated dedicated focus time to get something moving and so there's this kind of this interesting dilemma of like how do these two things that shouldn't, don't seem to go together, go together? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that, that some picture of that played, it plays into my mind when, I'm, when, I, when I would be thinking about what it is to be an RV entrepreneur or that idea of it. I don't know that I could go back and define it real clearly, but I, but I do know that with my business, it, did re, it required such focus and such determination and like will, just like I'm going to get up and do it and do the hard things all the time. That's definitely, it's an interesting contrast that, that the, I don't know, that the RV, RV life thing is, is a, a very leisurely based thing. But like you said, what I found was that there's plenty, there's a lot of people there who are very focused and driven at business. And, and maybe that's the thing that can fuel their ability to go live on the road or have, have a little bit of a life of freedom. And that's kind of the idea. I mean, that's the ideal for me too. Like, I don't want to be like a crazy driven businessman so that I can not ever see my family or do anything. Like the point is to be able to earn that freedom. So it is a super interesting correlation. I don't know for sure what my feeling was about it. I, I think it's just that once I found something that worked for me, which was like when I started digging in, it was like, I'm going to get there. Once I, I had the internal knowledge that I'm actually going to succeed with this thing, I just didn't want any deviation from it. It's mm -hmm. like, I, I don't want to try anything else. I don't want to bring anything on to ruin what I'm doing because it's working. I think that was more than anything else, my hesitation toward just like, I don't need anything else. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just keep going until I, until I finish this thing. One of my friends I was talking to him about, Alyssa and I, like you and Ashley want to invest in real estate and we want to buy campground. And, you know, we have a three month old daughter and we also have campground booking, which is still in its infancy stage as far as businesses go. He was like, look, Keith, aside from your newly born daughter, you also have this other business that's hasn't learned to quite walk on its own. And, mm -hmm. you know, like before you go start another business, that's also going to be a baby or infant or newborn, you know, you've now you've got two. So it's like, wait until one of your businesses is like at least a teenager before you go like mess with something else. I'm like, okay, that's smart. <laughs> you know, like put the pause. Yeah, actually, like Robert Kiyosaki is the big book that everybody reads. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you yeah. haven't read it. 
one of the greatest books of all time in terms of financial intelligence and thinking about finances. He talks a lot about real estate and investing in real estate, but the actual process that he describes is be an entrepreneur first to make cash, to invest in real estate and do other things. But the first thing is you have to like have a successful business, but it's really, really easy as like the, the biggest problem with entrepreneurs, once you, even once you start having a little bit of success is the shiny object syndrome of there's always a new opportunity. Like the more success you have, the more success is drawn to you. And you're like, oh man, I could do this and I could do this. And the risk is dispersing all of your current success that you've built so hard for on chasing, you know, the next new thing. Yeah, totally. That was like one of my first very early on business books I read and it was really, really good. Digging into your yours and Ashley's story in Investor Deal Room, which is your company, let's go, I guess, back a few years ago, whenever you guys first started into this whole path. And we don't have to get super deep into the story because I know I mm -hmm. shared this with Ashley on the episode that we did together. But just as kind of a brief recap, if somebody hasn't listened to that, what were you guys doing and what were you doing a few years ago that you ended up buying a fifth wheel and getting involved and in wanting to start your own thing in real estate? Yeah, I don't remember what Ashley said exactly about this, so I'll... <laughs> but I'll give the brief version as I know it. So she actually was teaching and she'd been teaching, she had just got her tenure. So it was just, she'd been teaching for five years and I was doing web development for like kind of freelance web development. And but I, I had a kind of consistent freelance work that I was doing. And we started, we started getting interested in real estate and investing in real estate and really decided that we were gonna put all of our eggs in that basket and build a real estate business, specifically like a real estate investing syndication business is what it's called. And then to, in order to do that, we, we really, my idea was to find a mentor. This is gonna be the long version of the story. One of the things in the, in the training course that we got was that you need to move to like the nearest emerging real estate market. Or you need to be near these bigger markets so that you can kind of be in the flow of the properties and talk to the brokers and do all of this stuff. And so we were just committed to doing that. And so we decided we were going to move from Springfield, our hometown, to Kansas City. And we had a home at that point, and we decided to just sell it. We just felt like we might be moving from location to location. Like we were, maybe we'd move from here, and then we'd get some properties, and we'd move somewhere else. I think in the long term, that was probably a bad idea, but that's what we had in our heads. But really, the, to go back a little bit further, what actually happened was this. We, we were contemplating what our futures was in terms of our career. We were both thinking a lot about it. And then I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning one day out of a dead sleep. And I heard like, you guys are going to be traveling in an RV. And I told Ashley that at like three o'clock in the morning, like we're going to be traveling in an RV in a couple of years. And she's like, and we just both went back to sleep. And then we talked about it like in the morning when we woke up and she's like, like, where in the world did that come from? I'm like, I don't know. I just heard it. And she's like, oh my gosh. So she's like, I was, I've always thought that we were, I would be like live and travel in an RV. We've been married five years at that, that time and never talked about it. So it was a, kind of a just one of those things. I mean, is that like a normal thing that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, I, I heard this this voice of, that I'm going to do this thing and let's do it? It's it's not super unusual, <laughs> but it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I, it's happened before. But but it basically was like what's weird is that we, we kind of then then were looking for an opportunity after that and we kind of got involved in it. And actually, Ashley started reading all of these RV blogs and started looking at all this RV design and, and decoration and organization. Like, well, how would we do that? And so I think once we got the idea in our heads, it was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to move in this direction. And so when the real estate thing came about, we were like, this is an opportunity. Let's sell the house, get an RV. And then we, we were planning on traveling full time. 
But basically what happened was we went to Kansas City. We kind of got stuck there for a year and a half. And we moved into the RV full time, moved one more time to Texas for a while. So we were basically just living in an RV full time, but it was stationary. And we didn't even buy We got a big fifth wheel, but we didn't buy a truck for it because we didn't didn't make sense to us if we weren't going to be moving to have a be paying for a truck payment or anything. Yeah. You guys got pretty deep down and into the real estate like you're going to do this at what point did you decide that you weren't going to actually buy and start a real like real estate syndicate i think what you call it yeah we spent about a year full-time where i was i went to part-time work so that i could still spend like 40 hours a week doing the real estate stuff and ashley wasn't she left her job completely so she was spending all of her time doing this too and so what that involved was we were talking to investors who might want to invest in real estate I was talking to brokers who were selling real estate, and then we were both analyzing properties to see what numbers made sense, and then we would go visit them, and then we were doing a bunch of training. We did that full-time for about a year. The truth is I was looking for a mentor. I'm just a huge believer in mentorship as like the best way to learn anything, and I've had some mentors that have been really valuable to me, so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this thing and I'll find a mentor. It turned out to be way harder than I thought to find a willing mentor. And for me, I didn't know what value I brought to a mentor to where they would want to mentor me. And so I didn't find anybody that I could really that shared a value system with me and that I could respect enough as a, as a real estate person that I would want to be underneath of them or that even would give me the time of day to, to learn that. Uh, so it was a long process of that. And what changed things for us was I finally did meet someone after about a year who spent quite a few hours with me and you know he had like 60 employees and he had this big real estate investment company that was really successful he just asked me better questions than anybody had ever asked me and so i had a bunch of questions about investing myself one of them that we've talked about which is we didn't have any money and the program we were in was like oh you can do no money down real estate and you can do this and you can do this it didn't make sense to us how we were going to make it happen just yet and then the second thing was we were, we were kind of concerned about the market and, and what was going on with the market and just what we didn't know. You know, we were right out of college in 2008 when all that stuff happened. So we're just super gun shy and we didn't want to jump into it. But basically the one question that he asked me that was, that really, really struck a chord with me was he just said, Josiah, what value are you bringing to these deals? And I gave him an answer, which was like, well, I'm going to put together the deal and I'm going to put the investors with the property. And I had an answer, but like, days went by and this the question just like sunk in it was like what value am i bringing and the truth was that was the question that was in my heart that kept me from pulling the trigger on a deal i didn't know what value i brought so that's kind of what stopped and he and he actually told me he said hey like i admire what you're doing you're you're going for it but i like if i were you i would take some time to reflect and figure out where you can you know what value you can provide like real estate's always going to be here don't push it. Don't make force it to happen now. Give it a little time and, and figure out the answer to that question, which was just tremendously wise advice. And, and I really appreciated that somebody just took hours to spend with me and sit with me and, and listen and then say, I would just consider this question like what a great experience to have. But it cost me a year of work and thirty thousand dollars and you know all of this money we spent on education. I feel about it now. It's like I'm showing myself to be a worthy student by putting in so much energy and time and love to make it happen. And then at the end of it, the result was not what I was hoping for. I was hoping to get a deal and to be in the game, but it ended up in this business, which is the right thing for me and, and a much better answer for me. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there. The one thing that I, that I'm most interested about, I guess, starting with is 
When you were like approaching mentors, because it sounds like you've done this kind of thing before, how did you kind of go about finding the right person or like finding a mentor and then approaching that conversation? Because I'm sure you didn't like find somebody online on LinkedIn and be like, oh, look, they've got a 60 person company yeah. email. Will you mentor me? Like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Well, I, I might do it different now if I like knowing what I know now. The first real mentor I had was 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 more of a spiritual mentor, and he contacted me and saw me. He saw my personal strengths and weaknesses in a way that nobody else did, and so he spoke to me in a way that made me trust him. And then because of his accomplishments in life, I was like, that's somebody I can look up to, or I can see myself, you know, reflecting or trying to be like. So he's just a good example. And so when I was looking to do the real estate thing, I was looking for okay, if I want to, if I want to have a billion dollars in real estate, who's a guy that has a billion dollars in real estate that's teaching that I can go find some way to be a part of this company in whatever role I can fill and then just absorb things over time. And I knew that if I could be in the room with those guys and persist and just show up and be in the room that I would find the right guy over time. And to me, that's what the whole name of the game was, was like, just be in the room. And so the money we spent was not about the education as much as it was being in the room with the people that I wanted to be mentored by. But then the second thing I realized was more and more important, the more people I spoke to, it's not just about money or net worth or any of that stuff. It's about their value system. And like, I have to have somebody with a similar value system and similar, you know, someone who loves their customers in their business, who loves their business itself. It's about doing right and doing the best they can do and, and providing the best quality they can and not just you know, there's people that just want to suck their companies dry or like take all the money they can from tenants. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that thing too. So the second thing was finding somebody who I could respect, not just in the, in the sense of a, the business sense, but in a moral sense too. Yeah. I love what you said around finding somebody who's going to ask you the best questions because I find that I have a lot of really good friends, friends that I feel like really challenge me. That's probably part of the reason why we're so close is because you're hard pressed to find people in your life who know you well and care enough and have enough insight to ask you the right questions that are actually really yeah. hard because most of the time the questions that people ask are kind of fluff, you know, for him to, yeah. for him to have the chops and the knowledge and the empathy to be like, Josiah, what value do you bring to the table? He's not being an ass. He's being like, he's really caring about you and your future. <laughs> yeah. There's something that he sees in me that he feels like he can relate to. And then he also invests. It's like, I'm going to take the time to ask questions to seek to understand you. That's time out of his day. And I think you have to earn that from a mentor. I think that you have to like, just go out there and do the work and show up day after day, regardless of if you're going to get a mentor, like I'm going to do this. I think that's what earns you the right to a mentor showing up at the door because, and it, I think it'd be that way for me too. If somebody, somebody tells me they're going to start a business, I'm like, cool. Right. Like, but they want my advice, they're gonna start a business. Cool, like I'll give you, I'll have a little talk with you. But if somebody's like going out there and suffering and they're learning it and they're figuring it out and they're like, they're failing forward and then they're like, man, like I'm gonna make this work, but it's tough. That's a very different equation to me. That's a person that I'm willing to invest in because I know that it's gonna pay off because they're already putting the effort in. Um, so um, I think that that's the, the key is like being willing to, to go do it regardless of whether you're gonna get that or not. I think it's just showing up and, and being a worthy student is what I, it's what I hope to be. And it's what I think earned me a meeting with that guy after about a year. Yeah. I remember one guy who was a really good mentor for me. He's still a good friend. His name's Jia Zhang. And he was our first, I guess, client after 
we did our first year of travel where we did documentary and all this stuff. And like we met and he had had this viral video series on YouTube and he had a book deal with Random House and all these people reaching out to him to ask for advice. And I was really no different except for the fact that we, him and I shared another mentor. And I remember his advice that he gave me because I was like, I want to quit my job. I want to go travel with my wife and I'm going to visit all 50 states with my wife and I want to work on a project that's going to push me. And he's like, you should work a job in every state. That'd be fun. You can learn and, you know, share your story and everything. And he probably didn't think anything of it, just like threw it out there. But then a couple of months later, I sent him a Facebook message or an email and I was just like, hey, I'm doing it. I found a sponsor. I bought an RV. I'm traveling around the country and I'm in California. Do you want to meet up for lunch? And he was so excited and so enthusiastic that he ended up hiring me to plan his book tour, hiring wow. him to like go, like him and I went to like a 30 city book tour together. And now like five, over five years later, we're like really good friends. I can call him up and talk to him whenever. But I think looking back on that, the one thing that I feel like has helped me keep some of those people in my life is like people that have done anything get tons of questions about, hey, yeah. how do I do this? How do I do this? But there's probably like less than 1% of people who follow up a month, six months, one year later. And it's like, hey, I took that advice. I did that. I'm so much yeah. more likely to want to try to pour into that person and vice versa. Yep. So the, the, the last, this is a little snippet to this story. This guy told me, like I told him my story, which is that I had been in a dead end job. I taught myself to code. I started a web design and digital marketing business. And I worked up to being like a lead developer for Fortune 500 websites. And he knew all that stuff. And so when he told me this, he said, Josiah, if you were selling me software, I'd buy whatever you had to offer. But you're telling me you're going to do a real estate deal. And I've been mm-hmm. in real estate for 30 years. And I know the ups and downs and all these pains because I did that in real estate. Here I am, you know, two and a half years later, and I actually reached out to him recently and said, hey, what you said to me was super influential, and it really affected my decision to start this business. But I think there's a, there's an important mentality that the shift. When, you're, when, you're, when you think about looking for a mentor, the mistake that we make, and I did this, is expecting somebody to, to hand you something, expecting somebody to pull you up out of your out of the difficulty or the stress or to give you the bird's eye view of how to get there. And I think that that's a bad thing to expect or want. I think that the mentality that helps you to get a mentor is the one that's like, I'm going to do it regardless. Like I'm going to solve the problem. If I get good advice, I'm not going to keep pestering somebody for advice. I'm going to go do it and do the best I can. Like having that mentality seems to attract other successful people to want to help you. But it's so easy to, I just did this because I had such a good mentor initially. And my first mentor, like I said, was gifted to me. So it was like, oh, <laughs> you know, you just wait for the mentor to show up in your life and they'll, yeah. they'll point you to things. And that's really, I, I don't think that's true in your life. I think you have to take initiative and control of your own circumstances in your own life and hope and pray for that person to come along, but also be willing to do every bit of the work yourself if they don't show up. And in doing that, you probably earn yourself access to the mentor that you're looking for. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's shifting, going back to your story, you had this talk with this guy and he basically kind of challenged you on what value you're bringing to the table. And then you decide that you're going to walk away from doing the real estate deal right now Mm -hmm. and end up starting investor deal room. Like what kind of happened in between that transition? Yeah, there was really a full year because we took out my wife's retirement money and spent it all on this deal. Uh, it was a difficult transition for us because and what I told her was, look, I'll go wherever I have to to make all the money we need to pay that back if this doesn't work. And so that was the deal I made with her day one. So a year in, 
it's like we're going to pull the plug. Well, it didn't work. I have to go get a job. And then we had the RV. So we were like, well, we're going to move wherever I can get the best paying job there is. Long story short, we ended up getting a job in Kansas City because we shopped a couple different offers in different states. That was the best paying job I ever got. And that led to kind of an expansion of my actual skill set for the next year. The whole time I was trying to figure out how to make this like, you know, this felt like a really painful, difficult experience that I felt like I was supposed to do, but I didn't know how to make it into how do we make lemonade out of this <laughs> giant lemon of a year and $30,000 of my life. And it took about a year to do it. But the main thing that switched for me when I started Investor Deal Room was I determined to build a product for the space. I didn't know what it was going to be. And since I've created some products before that have failed, and I know that in a marketing sense, you don't just create a product because you want to, you create it because there's demand for the product. I put together a list of 100 successful syndicators, which was real estate investment companies that I found through a couple of different social networks and basically just, just determined to message all of them and ask them what they needed built. It's hard to describe how, I mean, I think you've done something similar to this, but for me, I, was, I remember like laying on the ground in my RV or like laying on the floor and loathing the idea of having to like get on the phone with somebody and ask them a question like what they needed built. <laughs> it was just such a terrifying thing to me. I was more like embarrassed. My, my side of that was like showing up at campgrounds a few years ago and having like a rough idea of wanting to build a reservation system for them or a property management system, but like doing it in this really awkward, non-confident way of like, hey, I've got some yep. Envision app designs over here. It wasn't even Envision app, it was some other designs. And what do you think about that? I don't know, I felt weird mm -hmm. about it too. <laughs> yeah, what, what I did was I wanted to make sure I didn't wasn't trying to sound salesy at all because I didn't actually have anything to sell and I didn't even have designs at the time. And, and so what I wanted, what I was really doing was customer discovery. So I had a list of questions I was going to ask them about different parts of their business. And I had some theories about what they might need. But then once I actually did it, like pushing send on the emails, that was the hard part. Like the first send, I don't know why. It was just so difficult for me to do, to like take that action. It was just terrifying. But then once I did it, I like emailed everybody. I had a bunch of interviews. They were really, really easy. There was a couple people that were really, really rude to me and really mean. But it was like I did like 75 interviews and two of them were really rude to me. And everybody else was nice and glad to just answer my questions and glad to, you know, I'm asking them like, what pains are you experiencing in your business? And people are always happy to talk about like what sucks in their business and what could like, oh, you could build a technology that would solve this. They were super happy to answer those questions. So in doing that, I basically came to, there were a few people who had the same pain and it was once they actually were successful and they had a lot of investors, they had a lot of trouble managing them and sharing documents and getting documents signed. and this whole problem kind of emerged to me. And did you have any idea of that problem beforehand? I don't think I did at all, no. I was thinking that they would need like a CRM. Like I was thinking about like a basic CRM and I actually started building a CRM without asking anybody. And then as I was doing that, I was like, like HubSpot's free. And like this, these other CRMs are totally free. Nobody's gonna, like how can I compete with that and build a business on it? And that's what actually led to me being a little bit depressed was like, I'm doing this, making this mistake of building something that nobody's gonna buy. So I decided to call them. And so there was a, two common questions I ran across and I kind of just collected it all on a spreadsheet. Like, what are the problems? And, and there was two. One of them was, you know, that everybody needs to raise more money. Like, we need more investors in our deals. And the other was when they are successful and they have a lot of investors managing those investors. Interesting. I mean, so many of the people wouldn't have done the awkward part. And that's where you run into the, I wasted a year of my life building this product that nobody wants 
Because if you wouldn't have done that awkward part of reaching out to all of those. hundred percent. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, that's the, it's like the crux of the battle. Like there's all of this knowledge that I have of the industry now. And there's all of these connections and relationships I have. And I know people that went through training and they feel just tremendously depressed because they're like, we couldn't get a deal. And then they, they just give up and they're like, well, that's a failed part of my life. Mm. And I think that the thing was me determining like, that is not going to be a failed part of my life. I will find a way to make good of that thing in some way or another. I love that. And one thing that also comes to mind when I hear you talk about this is like, I remember when I was in Austin before we started traveling, I was working at a startup and I had all these different business ideas I wanted to start in industries I knew nothing about. And so mm -hmm. it's, I think one thing that I'm hearing from you that we took a similar path, but more indirectly was we got to know a space and we became familiar with it and how it worked. And the deeper we got into it, the more we realized one, we wanted to stick around for a while and having mm -hmm. just a basic understanding of the industry as a whole, I'm sure also helped you too with those conversations. And even just talking with those customers, they probably appreciated that you knew some of the language about real estate investing, that you weren't coming in as some complete different industry. You weren't coming in from like healthcare and like wanting to like ask them questions they didn't know anything about. And I think that that was a key learning for me when we started, when we bought RV, started traveling and I realized, hmm, I like traveling this way. I like spending time in national parks and being in an industry that, brings joy to people who get to go experience the country this way is something I would be happy doing for the rest of my life, which means that it allowed me to kind of go deep and start thinking about what are the pain points that I can work on solving. And I think that that's hard to do when you're just looking at a space and thinking like, yeah. hey, I know nothing about restaurants, but restaurants really need the software. And it's like you almost, sure. you almost need that year of or $30,000 of just like getting into the space and, and, and kind of understanding it in a more intimate way. I totally agree. And, and I think it's, you know, you have this question about do you build a business you love or do you build a business that makes you money, which I had this question for a long time, like, how do you marry those things? And I, I knew I wanted to build software for somebody, you need to pick a niche. I knew that before I did real estate. But then I kind of fell in love with commercial real estate. And I didn't have that like that thing, that niche that I was really involved in that I felt like could make money. That's what makes it stick. You know, if you look at it just about money and where can I make money with a product or where can I do this? I think it's hard to stick through the inevitable challenges that come with building a business because it's, it's going to be difficult. But if you care about what you're doing and you care about the space a little bit, it's not the same as like, you know, this is my passion project. I want to, this is how I'm going to change the world through real estate. Yeah. No, it's not that, but it is a genuine interest of mine. And that's what allowed me to build software in the space in a, in a way and have conversations with these guys that, you know, g gives me some credibility. And, and it's the answer to the question, what value do you offer? Well, I'm a software guy. I've always wanted to build software stuff. And now I know the space a little bit. So that's the answer to the question. Like provide software to these guys and help them as they're building their businesses. Yeah. And the value that you can bring to the table even now or a year when you decide or two years or three years, whenever you decide to start actually getting into real estate is like, Hey, I've worked with thousands of investors. As of today, you guys have helped people in different deals, raise over 40 million in private equity. And you mm -hmm. understand the things that need to go into a proper real estate investment. And by the way, by nature of having all these people using your software, I'm assuming you're probably talking to them on a daily basis. And so you're right. learning a lot more just by virtue of like proximity. So the value that you can bring to the table is very real. <laughs> yeah. I tell people when other investors or people who are learning in the space, they're, 
that really has become an, ex an extended mentorship for me because now I'm working directly with all these people that I wanted to have mentor me. They're my clients now and they're telling me about their deals and I'm working partnering with them in a way to provide them better technology to scale their businesses. So we're in a really fortunate position to be able to see all the deals that are going on, to know all the people who are doing all the deals because we found the answer to the question, how do I provide value legitimately? What is the best way for me to provide value? Because we found the answer to that, now we're in a position, you know, a couple of years later to have people be like, hey, if you want to be in a deal, we'll help you. Or, hey, if you want this, we, you know, you, you can get it. You guys know more than most of the people we work with now. You know what I'm saying? Because we're doing all these other little pieces of it. So that, the answer to that question has just been so, so valuable to me. Yeah, I love it. And I feel like we're just now starting to get into the part of the conversation around investor deal room, and it's already getting kind of late in the conversation. So I want to get into some, I guess, kind of fast questions for investor sure. deal room. So you found this pain point, you mm -hmm. had the software chops to go out and build it, but you had had this other job that was kind of like a full-time income that you were promised, Ashley, you would, you know, kind of recoup savings and things like that. What did you do to get this company off the ground as far as like financially and the resources? Yeah, so I started building the product based on having a few people who had a really, really big pain. Out of those 100 people, there was only probably three people that had this pain, and it was the most successful of the three, of the, the 100. And then those people connected with me with maybe three other people who had the same pain, and they were very successful. So I determined that even though it was a small number, the size of the pain was big enough that I should just build a product and see what happened. So I started building it, and they agreed to just give me feedback as I started building out the designs and basically what you did i did the same thing with basically html templates so it wasn't real data but they didn't know it and i made it everything look and function like it would work and then we just get weekly feedback from the what i thought that they would potentially be paying clients if i if i built exactly what they wanted so i started getting feedback from them but i was doing this like i was working you know nine to five and i was getting up at 5 a.m and working from you know, 5.30 a.m. to 9, building this stuff on the side and then working in the afternoon and evening as well. I did that for a couple months and then two things happened at once. One of the guys who was advising me built his own solution. Like he had paid a lot of money to build a custom solution himself. So he knew the pain real well and we had developed a good relationship and just showing him what I was building. So we were having a conversation and there was this other guy who was a potential client as well. I basically came to a point where I got the potential client to agree that if I finished this, he would pay me X dollars a month, or that he would pay for the software and, and he gave me a price for it. So I knew that I had a product that would sell if I could just finish it. And at that same time, the other investor said, hey, how would you like to do this full time? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, would you like to be working on the product full time? I'd like to fund your company. Wow. I was actually, I told him no initially, and I was really averse to giving up any equity in my company but the more i thought about it like i really gelled with him as a person we had a very close value fit and i liked him and i made him a, a hard bargain and said look we'll try this you know pay for me to come work do it six months and i'll finish the product and then i'll work in-house with you so we can get to know each other and make see if it makes sense for us to partner in a longer term so we actually made that deal pretty quickly within a couple weeks i put in my two weeks notice made a deal with them and moved to Texas. And that's where the RV came in a lot of handy. We just packed up and left and moved to Texas all of a sudden. We worked together for about nine months. Everything worked great. And we kind of solidified a longer deal after that. Yeah, that's awesome. And where you guys stand today is you have, you have a lot of different paying customers now using Investor Deal Room to put together real estate deals, right? 
specifically yeah. kind of like smaller private equity real estate companies, right? That's right. Yeah, we, we actually have about 30 uh, under 30 clients right now, but they're you know, they, they pay a bigger monthly fee. So it's it's we're almost profitable. We'll plan to be profitable by the end of this year. I like saying to, to other people that we have less than 100 clients, which gives you an opportunity to still have <laughs> feedback into the, the direction of the product. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to say it. Totally. To not exactly say the number. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I've learned there's so many different things. I sat down earlier this year, a couple months ago, you mentioned the blog to kind of go through some of my key learnings from getting campground booking to like this past year, we basically went from like 150 bucks a month to like 9K a month and revenue, which is really good. And I'm excited about it from a software perspective. It's not the biggest, but for us, no, that was like, congratulations. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So with, um, yeah, I need to quit. I need to quit like undermining my own thing. <laughs> it's, it's damn good. I'm proud of it. Good for you. But I started to kind of go through the list of all those things that I learned in those first few years. And it was so challenging because there were so many, like one thing was your first five customers are probably going to be the hardest. I don't know mm. if that was the case for you, but it was like getting those first five software customers to who can use the product and it has all the functionality that they need yep. and that they're really happy with was incredibly challenging. Yep. No, it was totally the same for us. Our first, really our first two more so than even the first five, but mm. then it was, it was two and then that slowly trickled to five. And then we kind of had to stop getting new clients to build everything they needed and make sure they were happy. Mm. Once we had that many clients, we were like, oh man, like they're having this pain and this pain and this pain. And like, we can't grow this business unless these are fixed. Oh, I feel the same way. It's so good to talk. We need to talk more because it was the <laughs> same thing for us last year. Like we had a few campgrounds, but there were so many different pain points that we needed to work through. And our software is powering like their whole business. So if yeah. it goes down right. at all, you know, like the, there's people lining up to check into this campground, there's 10 staff. And so for yep. me, I, I think another thing that I learned in that time was like, it's hard to go out and want to like really sell something when you you know, there's a lot more that needs to go into the product. So yeah. it's interesting to hear that you guys did something similar. Well, the first part is our, our first client was our biggest client and, and has actually done the most, like been the biggest client to date in terms of the size of deals he does. He did two $20 million raises last year using our portal. So he, he alone is like the majority of the of the actual raise money. We're actually over 100 million raised in the portal now or something. But what that means is if it's $20 million and it's usually a bunch of in, in individual investors investing 50,000 a piece. So those were 150 to 200 investors per deal coming through, like looking at the deal, signing documents, getting wiring instructions. And he was my first client, but there was there's been so many pain points we've worked through with them. And we've worked for such a long time to make that be a great experience to where it's kind of on autopilot for them now. So they just, they just finished another $20 million raise like this month. And we just didn't have support, almost had no support requests from them coming through where it's just like, they awesome. send out a link and everything just happens. But it was it definitely the most, you know, I had time, time with family out in the, in the mountains. That's like, <laughs> I get a, I get a panic phone call. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you know, we have investors, we're under the wire. Right. So there was, I happened to choose a product in, in a space that has so much time sensitivity and stress mm. and, and confidentiality around it that I, I added a bunch of work to myself for that way. But, but hopefully the payoff will be worth it. Yeah. Um, I would imagine security is a big thing. You know, like you've got people mm -hmm. putting up lots of money. And I also think that another thing that I'm kind of relaying back to our process is like, 
if you can get it working well for your ideal customer from a software perspective, the people doing the bigger deal, like one of our parks is our, our biggest one is like 160 plus sites and they have like mm -hmm. 10 staff. So multiple logins every day, multiple computers and yeah. high, high volume of occupancy. So it's almost like if once we got it working, most of our year has spent getting it working really well for them, honestly. Yep. And because of that, the support tickets for the 40, 50, 60 site campgrounds has went down significantly, which mm -hmm. has been kind of interesting. So it's like, if you can build it for your best one, it's going to stretch you, but then like it should work for a lot of other people. Yeah. And we tried, we tried to balance that out across a few, but you know, we obviously you want to have a very clearly defined demographic, like who exactly uses your product. But the, re the reality is there's one client who's driven the most of our use cases and solving the most problems. And we really built it very closely to their specifications. And then we tweaked it based on other people to make it a little more flexible. But as a founder, I don't want to market. I can't go out and market and sell the product unless it's stable and everybody's happy. And if I'm getting a bunch of angry support requests, I'm not going to sell anymore until, they're, until it's all solved. So we've had this challenge in the last, you know, in the last nine months of, like we need to get everything totally good and make make sure our customers are thrilled every time we launch it. And we've just we just feel like we've crossed that threshold, and that's what lets me feel free to like, okay, I can market honestly. I don't have to be yeah. feel like is this really true that we're saving <laughs> our customers this much pain? Yeah, exactly. I love that. I, mean, I could talk with you about this a lot more. The last question I want to ask: What's the biggest thing that you've learned in the past year? It could be in as it pertains to investor deal room or life, whatever. I really, I think I've really learned the value of, you know, there's a Stephen Covey quote who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And his quote is, begin with the end in mind. One of the seven habits is to begin with the end in mind. And and not, there it's, it's a very broad thing that I've understood that's been very, very helpful to me. First of all, in this business, I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I did begin by visualizing what is the end result I want for me. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to be was, I wanted to be the guy that everybody who had deals was calling and all the investors were calling. Mm. And that's who we are in the space. But I had no idea how I would get there when I started. But by visualizing the end, somehow that thing has happened. And, but then the same thing's been true when I, when I deal with individual problems in my business. Sometimes we'll deal with a really stressful customer problem or a code problem for me personally. And you get in the mindset of being like, you know, the stress compounds on itself and you get in this kind of negative, really like, you're thinking really hard about things. And for me, developing a habit of meditating or praying or whatever you want to call it, where you're relaxing totally and you're visualizing the end result of you being happy and having a happily solved problem has been a, just a tremendously valuable practice for me. And, and I've had, I just had a lot, of, a lot of resolution to problems that seem really, really complex that come to a fruitful resolution by beginning with the end in mind. And that's as opposed to thinking about the problem really hard and thinking about the, like, the solution to the problem, thinking about where I wanna see myself at the end of the day, instead of thinking about what are the possible solutions. It's, a, it's kind of an esoteric concept in a way, because you hear it so many times from so many people, but for me, it's beginning to, to do that as a practice when I run into challenges, or when I, when I wanna start something new, beginning with the end in mind is such a, that, that's, that's the most valuable thing I think I've learned this year. I love that, that's such a, such a good place to end, Josiah. Where is a good place for people to connect with you or learn more about Investor Deal Room? Investor Deal Room is investordealroom.com. I, I connect with people mainly on LinkedIn. So if you look up Josiah Mann on LinkedIn, 
I think I, I don't know if there's many Josiah Mans. I think it's LinkedIn slash in slash Josiah Man. And that's M A N N. Josiah, thanks yep. so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story, man. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to speak with you again. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that talk with Josiah. If you want to learn more and check out some of the links and Josiah's website, you can go to heathandalyssa.com and click on podcast show notes. Wherever you're listening to this episode today, I hope you're having an amazing day, whether you're walking or driving or swimming. Uh, do they make waterproof AirPods or something like I don't know. Whatever you're doing, I just am very grateful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And if you haven't already done so, I would love to hear from you in iTunes. A simple review takes a minute and it means the world. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. And I'll see you all next time on The RV Entrepreneur.